Hey, welcome to the Rungi FBC Sermon Podcast. I'm really excited to see that you're seeking the Lord with your time and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Before you listen, however, I just want to issue out a disclaimer. If at any point during this message you feel like you need to work for God's approval and salvation, stop and instead remember that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Always keep that in mind and you will be ready to receive from the Lord. Today we're going to study the parable of two sons found in Matthew chapter 21 verses 28 through 32. So if you have a copy of scripture, we'd love it if you just turn there and study along with us. And let's pray I can do God's word justice. Do you ever have issues with authority? Now this is typically easy to detect in people. I mean, you know you have issues with authority when you can't keep a job because you keep tying it into it with every single boss that you have. I mean, there is a pattern to this kind of thing and what's the common denominator, right? I mean, I might have authority issues. People with authority issues don't like being told what to do. Who do you think you are? You think you can boss me around? How dare you? Well, sometimes they're just the entrepreneurs of life. They work for themselves. They make their own hours, which... Consequently, I think this is starting to sound like a pastor's job, and if the shoe fits, I guess I'll wear it. Believe it or not, however, authority issues aren't always easy to detect. Sometimes there's a surface-level compliance with rebellion that lies deep in a person's heart. So on the surface, they come across as the model employee, but in private, see, they slander and even resent their boss. Most people would easily be able to recognize who the ultimate authority is. Since God created the world and everything in it, he is the ultimate authority by which the world is governed. However, what many people aren't able to establish is the chain of command underneath God. See, many people have this idea that, yes, there is the ultimate authority, God, right up there. But see, right up underneath him, that's where I go. But then the only people that they report to is God himself. Unfortunately, however, that's just not a biblical standard for authority. You might say, wait, John, we're all created equally in his sight. And that is true. We are all equal as human beings. Every single life is equally precious. However, that does not mean that we all share equal authority. God establishes several authority figures in our lives, starting with our parents. I mean, one of the big ten is honor your mother and father. We also have authority figures of the state. Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for is, there is no authority which is not established by God. And it's, it's interesting to note that in Romans 13, Paul is talking to a bunch of Christians in Rome who are being hunted down as enemies of the state under the command of Nero. And so they're being put to death. And, he, and they ask him, What do we do, Paul? And he says... Be subject to their authority. Why? We'll get into that. We also have authority within the church. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, don't make their lives hell. You know, Submit to the leaders. This is hard enough to do what they do. Submit to the leaders. Lastly, we have authority figures within the home. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a second, John. What if those in leadership are abusing their authority? What if they're directly telling us to do something that contradicts with what God would tell us to do? 
Well, before I try to answer that, let me let me just kind of address it. If we're asking in that that in our hearts, what we really have to ask for is a spirit of discernment that we're able to to detect. Uh, the difference between a spirit of rebellion and just the desire to want to understand. You see, much much of the time what we do is we play this, well, what if scenario, or we play the what if game just because we don't want to do what Scripture tells us to do. Well, wait a minute. How, how, what if there's people who, who abuse our authority? Well, what is your definition of abuse of authority? And, and even if there are people who are abusing authority, do you realize that Paul told people in Rome who were suffering at the hands of Nero to submit to his authority? Sometimes God, he puts us in positions of people who abuse, our, abuse the authority and abuse us, and he tells us, submit, 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 submit. Why does he do that? Well, because... It's for our good, as, as Paul says in Romans 13, 4. We'll get to that in just a second. Let's try to answer this question. What if an authority figure is telling us to do something that conflicts with what the ultimate authority has to say? Well, we don't really have to wonder what we're supposed to do, and that scripture already speaks to that. In fact, in the book of Acts chapter 4, John and Peter, they were commanded by the Sanhedrin to stop preaching in Jesus' name. And notice what they say in Acts 4, 19. They say, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? They even tell him, like, you be the judge here. Now, what they're not doing is they're not, they're not saying, you're telling us to, to do something that's not of God, and so we're not going to listen to you. You're not our authority figures anymore. Uh-uh. What they're saying is, is listen, authority figures. We're supposed to submit to you, but you're telling us to do something that, that contradicts God. So, I mean, what kind of authority figure are you being? Think about that. You know, it's because they asked this question that they were actually allowed to be let go because somebody comes forward and says, well, you know, if it's of God, we're, we're fighting God here, guys. And if we're fighting God, then we're not going to win this fight. So, see, they didn't reject authority just because the authority figure was telling them to do something that wasn't of God. No, they just called that to the authority figure's attention. Now, maybe they wouldn't recognize that. And we have to submit to God, but God is the ultimate judge. They, they recognized God as the ultimate authority, and they knew that this command given to them by their governing authorities contradicted what God commanded them to do. Thus, they couldn't obey. I can't, I can't do that. However, they didn't say to them, because you're being abusive, we're never submitting to your authority again. We're going to have to move on into our study today, but I just want you to know that there are tremendous resources on how God helps us to be subject to the authority that he's placed over us, especially when those authority figures are abusive. For example, I once listened to an awesome sermon, and I would really encourage you to go look this up. It's, it's called How to Honor Parents Who Are Dishonorable. I mean, because sometimes we run into that. Sometimes we know the Lord and they don't. And what do we do? What do we do, God? Let me just say this. God puts those authority figures in our lives, and sometimes we hate them. And much of the time, it isn't because they're abusive, but simply because we don't like being told what to do. You see, God has established authority figures over us so that we can learn to submit to his authority. Romans 13, 4 says, For the one in authority is God's servant. For your good. Well, wait a minute. What if they don't believe in God? Doesn't matter. They're still God's servant. And you know what? They're going to have to answer to him. You have to answer to them and God. 
See, our authority figures teach us how to interact with God's sovereignty, that God has everything planned, everything's preordained. And sometimes he puts people above us. And, and, and as much as we might hate it, sometimes what we need is to be told what to do. And I know that might be hard for some of us to accept, but today we're going to study a parable that deals with this very topic. And in order to get some context for it, we're going to have to back up a little bit. And I hate to do this, but we're going to have to move a little bit past it because there's something I want you to see. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has entered in Jerusalem riding a colt of a donkey. And while he was walking along, he sees a fig tree with no fruit on it. And scripture tells us that Jesus curses that fig tree and it withers up and it dies. And Jesus' disciples, they are amazed at how he's able to do this. And this is what he told them in verse 23. He says, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to this fig tree, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. What's clear in this passage is that Jesus is talking about having authority over creation. Remember how we talked in Hebrews 2 about Jesus? He became man to reclaim the authority over creation that mankind lost when Adam and Eve sinned. Jesus exercised complete authority over creation, and he told his disciples that they could do the same thing if they had the fruit of faith in their life. Now, what's kind of beneath the surface here is, is that the, the significance of the fig tree is not lost. Jesus knew that this fig tree had no fruit on it before he walked up to it. In fact, he made a special trip to this fig tree so that he could do this in front of his disciples so that he could tell them what he told them. Now, in the Old Testament, the Jewish priesthood is often characterized as a fig tree. So Jesus was speaking over the Jewish temple system saying, you have been unfaithful, and because of your unfaithfulness, there is no fruit. You have no belief. Thus, you will be living under a curse, and you will never bear fruit again. We know this is symbolic of Jesus eradicating the priesthood because of what happens next. I, I know we're at, I'm asking you to jump a little bit ahead there, or jump a little bit back, uh, in Matthew chapter 21, let's read verses 23 uh, through 27, then we'll get into our parable, okay? So when, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, and if you will tell me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why do you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. Then answering Jesus, they said, Well, we don't know. And he said to them, Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, this is ingenious. While Jesus was teaching, the Sadducees came up to him and they interrupted him during the lesson. And they began to question him about what authority he seemed to have to be teaching people. You see, in biblical times, the Sadducees were a group of people who not only held prominent positions in the temple system, but also in society. They were the Jewish politicians and bankers and entrepreneurs. These were the movers and shakers of the Jewish world. They were the ones who had exercised authority over the nation of Israel. And see, they even kind of jammed it down people's throats saying, well, I know that God loves me and that God is proud of me because I'm in this position of authority. And see, the, the, the Sadducees were often at, at, at odds with the Pharisees, not only because of their doctrine, but because they worked with Rome in order to hold on to this authority of the temple system. 
And so when they questioned Jesus, it was because they did not like the fact that he was operating not under their authority, but under his own. And, And he didn't ask for their permission to go teach in their temple. The problem is, of course, that God doesn't have to ask for man's permission because it was his temple, not theirs. And, of course, they didn't recognize him as God, which is a valid point. Why is that the case, however? Is it because Jesus didn't have the authority to do these things? Multiple times in the Gospels before this moment where you see this in Matthew 21, the, the people, you know, they and the people both recognized that Jesus had the authority to teach. In Mark 1.22, Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, and the scriptures say uh, that they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Matthew 7.29, Jesus taught the crowds with authority. And we can't say, well, all you have to do to have authority is to pretend like you got authority and the people are going to listen to you. Because in Matthew 8.9, Jesus had the authority to heal even at a distance. In Matthew 9.5-8, Jesus, when, when asked by what authority he could forgive people's sins, he responded, what is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to the lame man, get up and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And he got up and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, it says they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. You see, Jesus had the authority. They knew he had it. They knew where he come, came, where it came from. They knew it. They just did didn't like it and a lot of times when we question the authority figures in our life we know that they're in positions of authority we just don't like it they didn't like being told what to do by jesus or by anyone else and while they considered themselves to be the most godly men on earth deep in their hearts was a massive spirit of rebellion And you see, the spirit of rebellion was keeping them from submitting to a higher authority. And from submitting to a higher authority, they weren't able to submit to the highest authority, God himself. Now, something to note is that we often do exactly what they are doing here. What we will do is we'll walk in to maybe some some authority figure's life and we will ask a leading question so we can get all the answer that we need to discredit them as being horrible people. And once we decide they are horrible people, that's all the excuse we need to remove ourselves from being under their authority. For example, I was watching this debate on YouTube the other day, and there was this girl who went to, I guess she goes to a college or whatever, and, and a Christian apologist slash Christian scientist came, and he was, he was presenting how it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian, because look at all of the evidence of creation, that there has to be a creator. And so she stands up and she says, I'm an atheist, do you believe I'm going to hell? And see, the guy would not directly answer her question. She asked him this question like 30 times. And he would not directly answer her question because he knew she was just looking for a way to show everyone that he was a fanatical bigot who seemed to have no compassion for people who didn't share his views. And once that was established, she would have had all the excuse that she needed to dismiss anything he said. You see, we do this. Well, are you liberal or conservative? Do you support or oppose the homosexual agenda? Are you pro-life or pro-choice? Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you Calvinist or Arminian? I mean, do you study the King James Bible? Or, or do you study one of the lesser versions of the Bible? 
Well, if that's who you are, then you are a horrible person. And because you're a horrible person, I'm not going to place myself under authority, under your authority. But what we have to see is in the Bible, God does put horrible people over Christians as their authority figures, and he does it for their good. You might want to wonder what good can come from having to submit to a horrible authority figure. Well, for, for starters, in order to do that, we are required to kill our pride, which God hates, by the way. And, and, and also, how can we ever learn to submit to the highest authority if we're not able to learn how to submit to a lesser one? Consider what would have happened in this situation if Jesus had said, I have all the authority I need, and it was given to me by God himself. It doesn't take a psychic to see where that conversation would have headed. And so they questioned Jesus by what authority he taught and, and who gave him that authority. And Jesus does something very unique here, and it's ingenious. He says to them, okay, answer my question and I'll answer yours. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began talking amongst themselves, saying, well, if we say from God, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say it was from men, we fear the people, for they allege, all regard John as a prophet. And so they respond, well, we don't know. Oh, they knew. They just refused to say, and this is why. They refused to acknowledge John because John would have put, they, put him, they would have put themselves under John's authority, and they knew that God had ordained that, that they should obey their authority figures, and he... He, see, he would have put them under Christ. And that's just not what they wanted to do. It's hard to feel like you're in charge when you have to answer to someone else. And we're the leaders of the temple system. Not John. Not, oh, no, not, not you, Jesus. But see, if they said he was from men, because they all regarded him, you know, all the people said, well, no, he was definitely a prophet. He came from God. If they said from men, they realized that the people would begin to question by what authority they taught. And, and where their authority came from. You see, Jesus put them in the same trap they tried to put him in. And that's just classy. I mean, that, that, is, that is ingenious what Jesus did to them. And this is when, see, this is when Jesus tells today's parable. Let's read this together. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 33. It says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But after he, afterward he regretted it and went. And then the man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And seeing this, you seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward, so as to believe him. So first, I'm going to ask us to recognize that Jesus does nothing by accident. This story is related to the question that they asked him by what authority he teaches and does miracles. And Jesus says, okay, there are two sons. The first son refuses to do what his father told him and that he refused to go and work in the vineyard. 
So this son, what he's actually doing is he refused to submit to his father's authority. He refused to do what he was commanded to do. And you see, this is a unique parable from all the rest in that Jesus is clear about what he's talking about, about who he's talking about. He says the first son represents the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the people who blatantly live rejecting God's authority over their lives. However, because God places them under conviction and he opens their eyes spiritually, they regret their decision to reject God's authority over their lives and they repent. And see, he says they go and they work in the vineyard. By the way, the vineyard in scripture represents Israel and and Israel now being uh, the church, God's kingdom. The father tells the second son to go and work in the vineyard, and the second son agrees. Oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll go do that. But see, his heart is full of rebellion, and so he doesn't go. Jesus is clear with them that they are that second son. Jesus, he even asked them, which of the, which of the sons did as the father wanted? What Which one did the father's will? And they said the first. And see, this is where things begin to get heavy. Jesus tells them that they refuse to place themselves under the authority of John the Baptist because he was telling them that they needed to repent and turn to Christ. And he tells them the tax collectors and the prostitutes, those who used to say, I refuse to submit to you, God, or even there is no God. They were the ones who repented, turned from their sins, and gave their lives to God. And even getting to see how they turned to God, the chief priests didn't repent themselves. In other words, he's saying you can't look at their sudden change of heart and say that is not of God. The evidence of Christ's authority was made manifest in their life, and so they turned, they repented, and they went to God. And even acknowledging this, the chief priests still refused to surrender to Christ's authority. And because of that, the fruit of righteousness was nowhere to be found in their life. Jesus continues by telling another parable. He says, how about, uh, uh, you know, there's another another, uh, vineyard, right? And so the owner of the vineyard, which is God, sent out tenants to work there. Only by the time for the harvest, uh, God sent his prophets to come and collect the fruit of belief, right? The fruit of righteousness. And yet the tenants beat and killed those prophets because of their lack of submission to God's authority. He's saying that this is the way things have always been in, in, in history. (coughs) <coughs> your forefathers rejected the, the, the prophets. They killed the prophets. And so the father says, well, I'll send my son because they will respect my son. In other words, if they're going to submit to anyone's authority, it will be the one who bears my name. And they said to themselves, let us kill him and take his inheritance. In other words, the owner of the vineyard will have no heir to pass ownership of this property off to. So all we have to do is wait for the old man to die. And guess what? We will be the ones in authority, and this will all be ours. And Jesus asked him, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he's going to do to those tenants? What do you think he's going to do to those vine growers? And in answering him, they condemn themselves. Well, he'll bring those wretcheds to a wretched end, and and he'll rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Well, first, what are the proceeds? The proceeds Jesus is referring to is obedience through faith. We as his followers are going to be led to having faith, and guess what? Once you have faith, which is a gift, that faith must be cultivated. 
the chief priests and Pharisees were given authority by God to cultivate the faith of Israel. Except when Jesus arrived on the scene to collect the belief that was due him, there was no faith. There was no obedience because they had no faith. So Jesus is telling them that they are the wretches who will meet a wretched end. And see, by their own mouths, not only have they condemned themselves, but they are shown that they have no right, none whatsoever, to be in a position of authority in God's kingdom. And he, t- he tells them, listen, he tells them, the tax collectors and the prostitutes believe John and they're entering into heaven ahead of you. What did he just say? What he's saying is that the lowest of the low, those miserable wretches that you consider, (coughs) because they possess the fruit that is belief in him, were now the ones in authority. Your authority has been stripped from you and given to new tenants, who, guess what, are the tax collectors and prostitutes. They were the ones that were now going to go out and, and be working in the vineyard. See, if there's an application of this passage, I think this is it. There is a purpose to God's system of authority. We have to learn to submit to those who are in positions of authority because, as Paul says, they are God's servants who have been established in their positions for our good. And just in case, just in case you might be thinking, well, John, it's easy for you to talk about how we should submit to authority because you're the one in authority. I mean, you're the man who pastors this church. In other words, there's a lot of authority that, that, that I don't, uh, not a lot of authority that I have to submit myself to. I'm no longer under the authority of my parents. I'm the head of my household. I'm not the head of the church. Christ is, but I've been placed in a position of authority in the church where nobody really tells me what to do. Sure, you guys could, could, could have a business meeting and fire me if you so choose, but in this organization, I'm pretty much the boss. And trust me, I don't take that lightly. I don't say that lightly. <coughs> I don't even like saying it. The point is that people could look at my situation and say, the only people he really has to submit to is the state, and it's easy for someone in authority to say that we should submit to authority. But understand that first, I would never have been placed in this position of authority if I hadn't exercised at least a little spirit of humility. In other words, that, that, that I know I have to submit to authority. And I know that, that when I begin talking about my own humility, that I'm flirting with a dangerous situation of my own pride. I know that. And listen, I'm not trying to be prideful here. I'm just saying that the leadership in this church would have never put me forward as a candidate to vote on hiring if they had detected an underlying hint of rejecting authority in my heart. Second, let me just say this. I I know it's difficult to submit to someone who can be as foolish as me. It must be. I mean, our church, I don't know what our church was thinking. They, They hired me when I was 25 years old. I am the youngest pastor who has ever pastored in this church in in its entire conception like 135 years almost like there's never been a pastor who started younger than me and i don't take that lightly i take that as a call to to let no man despise my youth but rather be an example of, of, of righteousness you know i've got to be an example that it puts me under more scrutiny not less and I want you to see i'm not really in a position from a worldly worldly stance that i would desire to be in I would not stay in this position if it were not God himself who has called me to it. The last thing that I wanted was to be in a position of leadership. Why? 
Because scripture says that we know that leadership will be judged more harshly, not just by God himself, but by the world. And I'm responsible for people. I mean, like the world can say, oh, you know, that man uh, cheated on his wife. Well, that's terrible. Oh, a pastor did that? Oh, man, a pastor did that. Well, you see, I'm not in this position because I have to live my life above reproach. And let me tell you something. That's not a light burden to bear. And I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy that burden. But see, when, when, when there's less examples of authority in a person's life, like, like you know, I have to submit to state troopers and, and the president and the governor. And like, there's still positions of the state, but I'm the head of my household. And you know, I don't live under my parents' authority anymore. And, and you know, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. What we have to see is that those who have less examples of authority that they have to submit to are more in danger in following the same situation the chief priests and the Pharisees fell in. We must see that when we submit to all the authority figures in our lives, what we're really doing is submitting to the authority of Scripture. That we're submitting to the authority of God Himself. Scripture tells us, children, submit to the authority of your parents. Wives, submit to the authority of your husbands. Husbands, submit to the authority of Christ. Christians, submit to the authority of the church. Church, submit to the authority of the state. For your overseers are God's servants established for your good. Well, you know what? They're abusive. Doesn't matter. Submit. <coughs> you know, C.S. Lewis, he said it best in the screw tape letters. He says, what God takes from the right hand, he returns with the left. In other words, what do you think God does when we recognize that we're not the authority figures in our own lives? That we submit to others who are telling us what to do. Notice who Jesus gives authority to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and as the apostle paul later says as were you before you were sanctified and justified what should this teach us it should teach us that christ gives those who have belief in him the authority that they truly desire authority in a godly way that we as his servants get to live with authority. Jesus says, if you have faith in me, you can tell mountains to go throw themselves in the sea and they will listen to you. You see, we are a people that are called to speak life into other people's lives with authority. We have been given the ability to teach with authority. We've been given the right to cast out demons with authority. Whoa, Pastor John. But listen, it's biblical. It's biblical. We can speak with authority over the sin in our lives and say, by the authority of Jesus Christ, you will no longer have control over me. I will not be a slave to you anymore. We can speak with authority when we pray because we have the authority of God through His Word resting over us our lives. Something to chew on before we close. If you look at your life and you say, for some reason I'm just not able to speak or pray or teach or cast out demons with authority. One place in scripture, Christians attempt to cast out demons and the demons say back to them, well, Jesus I know. And I know Paul. But who are you? You see, these demons beat the snot out of these Christians and send them running with their tails between their legs. 
And I think the point of that story is, is that if we want to speak and teach and pray and repent and cast out demons and study scripture and speak life into people with authority in Jesus' name, we must first learn to submit to those who are placed in positions of authority above us. And listen, we don't have to like what they have to say. We don't have to agree with them or even call something horrible or honorable when it isn't, you know, like, like, like oh, well, what you're doing is actually okay. We don't have to say that. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a, a culture right now where we have a lot of people that might be doing things above us, at least in the state, you know, that, 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 that do things that we don't agree with. But see, we need to be careful not to ask leading questions from someone uh, you know, just so we can get an answer that we can dismiss them by saying, well, that's not my president, that's not my pastor, that's not my boss, that's not my parent. Because when we do things, we don't do things in the way that is established by God. What we're actually saying is, God, you're not my authority. The only person who is in charge of me is me. The ideal son is the one who says, yes, sir, I will go and does it. Does it bother you that there's not a son like that in this parable who says he'll go and actually does? I, mean, I think we all agree that's, that's the way it needs to be, but does it bother you that, that there's not a, a son there that does that? I want to challenge you to look again because there is a son who says he'll go and goes. It's the one telling the parable. He's the one who said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And scripture tells us that it, because, it was because he was obedient to the point of death that he was given the name above every other name, that, that, that every knee under heaven and earth would bow, and, and, and under the earth they would bow, and, and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'm telling you, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As agents under the authority of Christ, let us not be ones who say, Oh yes, I will go and not go. Let us now agree to go forth and make disciples of all nations and actually do what we have agreed to do by His authority. Well, I hope this message has been an encouragement to you and that you have a renewed purpose and dedication to trust in the Lord and serve Him. Please feel free to download our church app so that you never miss another message by searching FBC Rungi in the Apple App Store or Google Play. We at Rungi First Baptist Church are here to take root, grow, and bear fruit. So if you'd like to join with us in our mission, then let's get out there and bring glory to God.